Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, I'm speaking with Hugo Pereira, Chief Marketing Officer of EV Box, a manufacturer of electric vehicle charging station solutions. They are on a mission to drive sustainable mobility and a zero emission world. During Hugo's tenure, the team has grown from around 10 employees to more than 600 and was acquired by a large energy corporation. But growth hasn't been linear all the way through, some years far outperforming others. In our discussion, Hugo shares the story of this journey, explains how the company has managed its explosive growth with a mission-driven identity. Customer advocacy has been really a big part of the EV Box story as it has helped align and connect teams and keep them really one step ahead of the competition. Our conversation deconstructs how this relationship building with customers has fueled the company's growth engine. But Hugo's also candid about the changing landscape caused by COVID-19 and explains that although the pandemic has tempered some of the growth expectations for this year, it's also created some amazing opportunities. So they have a mission of reducing carbon emissions to zero, and not surprisingly, some of the long-term systemic changes of society based on the COVID-19 learnings are really showing a lot of potential to reduce the carbon footprint because there's going to be a lot more opportunity for remote work going forward. And so for that, the EV Box's team is pretty excited. So let's jump in with Hugo and learn more about EV Box and how the company's obsessive focus on delighting customers has been key to driving that sustainable breakout growth. Hi, Hugo. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Thanks, and happy to be here. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to have you on. You're over in the Netherlands, and uh, I'm excited to hear about EVBox. Um, so how about you tell us a little bit about what EVBox is and, and the problem that it solves? Yeah, sure. So thanks for that. So EVBox is a leading electric vehicle charging solution provider. So we offer integrated and tailored charging solutions to businesses around the world. This being from charging station manufacturing that you can charge your electric car to the whole charging management software that manage everything behind the scenes and all surrounding services like field services, like installation and commissioning, training to the partners and resellers or large companies and the overall support also to uh, on day-to-day basis uh, to partners or uh, or fulfillment companies around the world. I see that there are two problems that we are solving. One of them is the fact that uh, electric mobility is rising. The, the rise of electric cars is something that is, I would not say unstoppable, but is growing really fast. There's already over 7 million electric vehicles on the road today, but there'll be probably, probably nine by the end of 2020 and is expected to be over 100 in total by 2030. So it's, it's, a, it's a booming market also because it's solving a problem of air quality. Yeah? We breathe, uh, 91% of the world breathes in air that is under the regulations of the World Health Organization is dangerous polluted air. So we build an infrastructure that allows that, that, that to become a reality, electric mobility and improving the air quality, which hopefully will, will become a cleaner planet. So we are really on a mission to a zero emission world. That's how we like to see it. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So um, as you were going through that, it sounds like I know I've, I've looked at the website and it looks like there are some some things like home charging solutions, but it looks like you're mostly focused on, on B2B then. Yeah. Yeah. So so 
Despite that, the biggest user are, of course, drivers of electric vehicles. Our focus is really on the B2B sector. So a, a typical customer profile will be an automotive man manufacturer. So the companies that build the, the, the electric cars could also be utility and energy companies or full retailers um, like the shells and totals of this world. Could also be fleet operators, being it like large fleet companies that operate for, for businesses or even rentals. So and the other thing is like large businesses, like workplace, large workplaces, facilities, also companies that manage condominiums, tenants, which is kind of a sort of home charging. And it goes even to small businesses like uh, hospitality, restaurants, hospitals. The beauty of it is that everywhere you park, it can be seen as a customer profile. So you can only think about where are you parking and who owns the parking, you know, in a sense, essence to build a charging infrastructure. But yeah, most of it is B2B. Um, that we focus on and less on the driver directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely find, so I have an electric vehicle and I definitely find that uh, I, it, it's a lot of times I'll, I'll pick a hotel based on if they have, if they have electric chargers or not. Um, is, so it, would hotels be part of that as well? Yeah. yeah. And actually one of, one of the fun stories, we, we were very keen and for, for some period of time, especially at the beginning when the industry was new and we were empowering that, we actually spent quite some time empowering Booking.com to add a filter for electric vehicle charging stations that people could have ah. a benefit of it. So finally, it is there, which is, which is helpful. And, and I hope it's going to duplicate even further. But yeah, hotels will be an example of, of, of a business that will benefit from it. That's great. And then how do you guys make money? Is it mostly on, on just sort of the, the project of building everything out or is there some recurring revenue on the software side? Yeah. So there is, of course, there's a hardware sales, which is kind of the, the cost of, of buying the hardware and, and owning the, the hardware, the charging station being it regular or, or a fast charger or the ones you see on the highway. Um, then there is a recurring uh, revenue model, which is about the software. Yeah. So a fee for the, using the charging management soft, software, which follows more the traditional SaaS model. And then there is project and service fees, uh, especially for businesses mostly, which might be about if they want to have heavy onboarding or training on how to handle and manage the, the, the charging network, customization if they want to white label the software or the hardware, and sometimes through partners, uh, you know, they might want to have some kind of field services, you know, to connect with partners to, to install the charging station, to handle the project, to ensure that everything is working fine. Uh, but most of the part of fulfillment, many times you work with partners around the world. Uh, so that they can also have a business model for themselves. So in that case, we have the recurring revenue model, the hardware sales, and most of the times the services are also delivered by our partners in, in many cases. Some other cases we do directly everything, but normally we always work with partners to deliver large projects. Right. Okay. So, and then you have been with the company about um, five years and how long has the company been around overall? It's been around for 10 years. So uh, founded okay. in 2010 and I joined in 2015. Mm -hmm. And I think you had mentioned that you joined when some uh, a private equity firm had had come in and become part of it, and they inv invited you in. Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, so in, end of two thousand fourteen, uh, the there was a private equity firm that became a majority shareholder in uh, uh, from Benelux. Uh, at the time, uh, a new CEO had just started, Christophe Verenoeg, and uh, I connected well with him from previous startup experiences, and he invited me to join to, to head uh, the overall expansion growth strategy of the organization and marketing. And, uh, and yeah, I, I took on the challenge. It sounded very compelling at the time, despite that I didn't know much about charging stations and, and electric vehicles. 
Right. It found, it found very compelling, and I was the first non-Dutch to join. So it was about 10 people when, when I joined, uh, 10, 15 people in the Netherlands. And, uh, and it was fun to try to, when I joined, everything was in Dutch. Even the, web, the main website was evbox.nl. So it was very clear. The first thing I had to do was to switch to evbox.com, the main one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, uh, but yeah, but it was a, quite, quite an experience to be the first uh, person that brings the diversity to the team and to the organization. And today, fast forward five years, we are 600 people uh, in the organization, which is, uh, which is quite exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you've definitely seen a lot happen in those five years going from 10 or 15 people to 600 people. Um, what, uh, what, what do you feel like is kind of the the biggest difference now? I mean, I I just imagine it's, it's, uh, it must've been a pretty, um, a pretty tight team that everyone knows each other well. And and now it's, now it's a a big company where there's probably people you've never seen before. (laughs) Exactly. I I think, I think it was around the 200, 300 mark that I was like, Oh, I don't know if I can name everyone in the building anymore. Uh And and that's quite a strange feeling to have, especially if you join with, uh, with 10, 15 people where you know each other, you have lunch together in one table Right. So, so the first couple of years, it, it, it's more of a community and a family. And that feeling is still there. There's still a very strong, passionate and, and human element to the organization, even with 600 people. But of course, at the beginning, it was also like everyone tries to solve everything. Everyone is involved in every topic. Uh, right. Everything is a company conversation. And now, now we cannot afford to have everything being tried to be solved by everyone. So, of course, we need to rely more on the people that we bring in to really make a difference. And uh, of course, before it was the same case, but yeah, we just have to accept that it's more about delegation, trust, and having the, the empowerment that the team leaders, the leadership and people that join the organization have the liberty to, to help it grow. Yeah, no, that's, that's super exciting. And then um, one of the things, I, and I want to get into the how on this, but one of the things I was excited about that you shared with me was the was the the annual growth rates through that period of time, and it was really interesting to see that there were some years where your growth growth was you always were growing. But there were some years where it's maybe twenty or thirty percent growth, and then and then other years where it's a hundred percent. Normally, normally you see in a company where it's sort of like maybe it's a a few years of 100% growth, and then it drops to 60%, then 30%, then 20%. The fact that a few years ago, you had a 20% year, and then in 2019, you were over 100% annualized growth. Um, that's that's going to be interesting when we dig into what were the where were the challenges that were holding back growth and what was what was uh, what were the things that that exploded growth. But before we get into that, I, I want to just take us to the to the current time and clearly COVID-19 has affected a lot of people. Like I just look at myself, I mentioned I have an electric vehicle, but I mean, probably even more so with my family with, with gas vehicles that um, people aren't driving very much anymore. People aren't staying in hotels. People aren't going to restaurants. It's, it's starting to open back up a bit here in the United States, but um, in, in a new Europe, I think is a little bit probably closed down earlier and is probably opening up as well. Um, but how has COVID nineteen affected the business? What what have you what have you seen, and what have you had to do differently? Uh, it, it's a really there's of course there, there's downsides to it, but there's also amazing things that happen through it. Um, naturally, COVID nineteen has impacted our business heavily. Uh, we are also we are manufacturing, so of course manufacturing slows down, shipments get delayed. If the borders are closed, we cannot get the stations to the customers. 
the customers also feel a bit of the pain of, of the everyone is affected economically so customer requirements might decrease or orders can got delayed or certain decisions that were expected now move maybe over the summer so there is an impact there of course and and it, it's it's heavily seen on 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 our on our way um you know, up until the COVID nineteen, we 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 actually started the year very strong compared to the year before. We were on the, again on a trajectory to do a hundred percent year on year, or even even more again, which was which was quite exciting. Um, and of course, now it's going to be a very different story. I think the main the main thing, of course, that that especially from a hardware company, we see the importance, and I think it's going to happen with a lot of manufacturing organizations, which is to decrease the dependency on a single region, like potentially like China. And to start having multiple multiple sourcing around the world just to be able to cope with different plan A, B, and C. I think that will be one of the big effects that will, that effects that will happen. Uh, and then the other one is it speaks to the value of the customer relationship. Uh, because if uh, if customers will trust us from before and if you are reliable and transparent to them, um, they stick with us you know, because they know that we are all in tough times. And they also notice if you are also being uh, you know kind and caring towards them. So... If before the company was very much on the growth trajectory of figuring out we have to increase the market share, the mind share, now it's starting to gear up to the fact of being like, okay, we really have to work on advocacy and we have to work on retention and, and uh, best-in-class experience, delighting our customers. So is, I love that. Yeah. Is switching a bit the mindset of like, okay, we have to do some work here because we don't know how long this is going to be here. But you also you know, have to just improve the business. And, and sometimes we grow, we focus so much on the on the top part of the funnel, more leads, more, more businesses, more customers, uh, and uh, we are drained by that. And now, now I think we are in a situation where like, okay, we have to also balance the organization. And, and, and coro- well, uh, Corona situation, despite being very unfortunate and unprecedented, allows us to start looking into it. And, and, and then, you know, it's the status quo, you know, like can an organization move completely online? And, and it was fascinating that in, in one week, 600 people go work from home. And uh, and uh, and then we start, have to start thinking. Okay, how we work from home, and and uh, we are in a, how do our manufacturing plants uh, can work in a safe way? So it becomes very interesting. And now we are in a situation where, like, okay, how is the future of work going to look like? Because it's clear that we can keep on working from home, and you can do business working from home. Um, and we changed a couple of things. We start doing a town hall uh, on a weekly basis with everyone in the company. So suddenly, five hundred people, six hundred people joining on a conference call giving updates on the company, here is where we are, you know, what can we do better, you know, providing trust to people. Uh, there was also unfortunate incidents, like we had an annual mobility event that we call Revolution, which is more of a thought leadership initiative for the industry. It was supposed to be end of March, a thousand plus people of the industry coming over to Amsterdam. And we just said, okay, we cannot do this. We have to revamp the whole concept to be digital, not just doing a digital webinar, which we did and actually was Pretty good. We had 1,200 people out of 1,700 registered or, or something, which is pretty good attendance for a webinar. But now it, now it goes beyond that. Now it's like, okay, what is the digital experience that we're going to offer if events are never going to be the same? Right, right. Um, it's just a scary thought, <laughs> especially um, for me personally, where I, I earned the majority of my money last year in live events around the world. So um, clearly, clearly... Uh, that those shutting down, hopefully not forever, but uh, I think like with everything, as you've talked about, you need to be flexible. And so I remember my my kids saying to me, like, are we going to be okay, dad? Like, uh, you know, clearly you're not going to be able to travel. And I, I said to them, I'm, I'm an information worker, you know, that, that 
I just need to think about a different channel for delivering that information. It doesn't, you know, the information is still valuable. The information is still important to people. I just need to to shift my focus to delivering the information and less of a face-to-face way of doing things. And hopefully, hopefully I'll get back on the road because I do enjoy the the face-to-face side of things, but it's, uh, it is interesting. Another, another thing that you touched on this idea of, of really doubling down on the relationships that you have with customers and being kind and caring. And, and, uh, I, I had a head of a, of a pretty big company who, who reached out to me early on in the, in the pandemic. And, he said to me that, uh, "Hey, can I just get your advice on something?" He was looking to to say, you know, m- maybe there's an opportunity here as everyone gets afraid that that there's going to be some cheap advertising available. And he was in an industry that I knew was going to be affected for a long time with by by this. Even though it's tech, it's like some of the tech industries are are um, have a have a more physical attribute to them where it's where it's you know the 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 ubers and the airbnbs that that just um have have been way more affected or the birds and and all all of these different types of companies and and so you know the first thing that i said to him was um yeah one i would not be looking to get aggressive on advertising but two all of your customers are scared to death right now that their businesses are being affected by this. I would just double down on focusing on resources for those customers to help them navigate it, to help them change their businesses and use it as an opportunity to, to really strengthen the relationship. And, and it's very cool to hear you saying basically the same thing, that that, that was part of your strategy there, that I, I think um, you can't change the situation, but you can you could try to make the most of the situation and... Uh, and ideally, the more the more mission driven you are, the the I, I think that helps people adjust to the situation. How how can we pursue our mission in in a different way now? And uh, the fact that one of the the important parts of your mission that you talked about is the is the clean air side of things. Um, the good news is, yeah, you know, at least in Southern California, the air has never been cleaner. <laughs> Suddenly, ninety <laughs> percent of the cars are off the road, and so um, you know maybe that doesn't financially help you, but it definitely helps you in, in terms of your mission. Yeah, and and uh, and as you said, like the, the interesting thing is that when people look at the transition to electric mobility, I hope it's not just replacing the cars that are currently on the roads with just electric cars because that will not solve everything. That will just Yes, it will be a better solution, but there will still be congestion. And, and yeah. I hope that with this transformation... It will be cleaner, but it'll still be a lot of time stuck on in exactly. a car on the road. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I hope along the way this also enables... Um, the way I see it is I see electric vehicles as an enabler for people to say, okay, if I have an electric vehicle, then I should demand renewable energy to power my car. That I, should, I should demand the customers that provide the energy to stop investing on, uh, I don't know, natural gas, but invest on wind, solar energy, and, and that can actually power the car and become cleaner. That afterwards they say, okay, if I also have then an electric vehicle, does it need to be one car per, you know, per every family member? Or can we think about, you know, like how the future of ride sharing is going to happen or, uh, or autonomous vehicles? To, uh, so I hope that also the amount of vehicles on the road is going to decrease and that people start enjoying the fact of not only, I don't own a car in, in the Netherlands. Of course, it's a small country. Amsterdam is a small city. Having a car for me is more of a pain than anything else. So I, I got an electric bike to compensate. Um, 
but but I I also see like this the it's incredible. I just rent a, a, a an electric car in the city and I can go almost everywhere in the country. And uh, and every time I need to go somewhere, I rent an electric car if I can. And 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 that's fine. I don't I don't need to own the car. But I know that not everywhere in the world that is a possibility today. I just hope that along the way, also it will get in that direction. As I touched on before, it's been a wild ride for you up to this point. You. You in in some of the early years when you were there, growth was not huge. It was still it was still impressive. More recently, you had amazing growth for a company that's been around. That's that's the size of your company now. So maybe you can give us some insights into into kind of what was the difference? Why why did you have some years where you grew so slowly, and and other years where you've had just explosive growth? Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that is a really great question, and and I think it's it's hard to try to summarize in, in, in a lot of ways. But I think one of the interesting things that might be a misconception is that when you're growing as a company and you start expanding to other countries and regions, that the fact of expanding it doesn't necessarily multiply that you're going to grow at the same rate. So, for example, when we start moving out of not moving out, expanding beyond the Netherlands. Initially, we explored a lot of the, the Dutch model. Yeah, okay, what works in the Netherlands and the way of the way of doing business here is what we're going to try to implement in the other regions because it was at the time, and still today, is one of the most developed uh, countries in terms of electric mobility and infrastructure. And, and while that is a good entry point and a good balance to kick off, is not necessarily how other regions work. So at the beginning in the Netherlands, we were very strong with the distribution channel. So we will sell to a large wholesale company and that works with a lot of like a distribution center that will that has a big network of electricians and installers and they will sell the solutions to small businesses to uh to people at home so you suddenly have a network of 600 700 1000 installers that are basically selling for you they are brand ambassadors so it worked great in the netherlands because suddenly you know one of our competitors was not just competing with evbox was competing with evbox and then a thousand installers that are around the way almost being a sales force selling you know stations in all over the place but that same distribution model or that same way of finding resellers in other regions didn't work out so well because the culture was not the same or it's not the same in the market size. So, so that took a while to, to quickly understand that was not, not, not going to work out the same way. Um, also, one of the things that happened is that, of course, when you are expanding hardware, you know, you have to certify the hardware. And of course, with all the best intentions, sometimes you want to launch a specific new product in this region, but then you have to certify it. And for example, certifying in the US can take uh, one year or two years, you know, depending on how it goes to be all energy certified to be able to sell their um, electronics, for example. So, and of course, like such a new industry also has so many different uh, features and different ways of, of being. You know, in the Netherlands, majority of people are business drivers and lease drivers. So they all need to have all this complexity of I want to re- my my uh, employer to reimburse my my um, my energy that I spend on charging the car. I want that reimbursement to be automatic. I want to have a whole outlook. So it's quite nice and advanced. But then you can go I don't know to to the US or to some other country that is you know has a lot of private ownership of electric cars, and I don't want to have all of these. I actually want to have something different. So that complexity and the, the time it took to understand the market in those years of 30 percent. It, it was one of the reasons. And the other one, we moved from B2C to this B2B2C approach. And that change, I'll be honest, was more challenging than we anticipated to, uh, to start changing the whole messaging towards businesses, to focus the whole acquisition approach, experiments, websites, sales intake, 
and the organization to say, we're going to focus on business first, to go after large businesses, build the right network of resellers. And then if the electric drivers want to come to us, we're going to pass them to the partners and let them take the lead there. That whole operation took, took quite a while for us to be able to change to the point that afterwards business recognizes as, oh, yeah, okay, EVbox is really the, the, the main company for us to go to build a whole business charging solution, whereby at the beginning was more like electric vehicle drivers were like, well, I need a charging station, I go to EVbox and I search online, and we didn't even have a web shop compared to other organizations. So that transformation took all at the same time that we were expanding to seven countries with seven offices selling to 30, 40 countries with resellers, you know, sometimes expanding also can slow down the operations. And when we start, when we stop and decide that, okay, we understand where we want to go, how we want to go, let's simplify things, you know, and, and clean up and start, you know, like this strategy from scratch, which was about 2017. That's when we were like, okay, now we know exactly how we want to go and how we want to build. And then, and then yes, and then it led to the last year, which was phenomenal. So it, it's interesting, like to me, what it sounds like maybe what was going on there was kind of two, two situations of having to tune in the product market fit. So mm-hmm. one is the, that, that kind of business model shift where you, where you went from B to C to B to B to B to C, um, if I said that right. <laughs> and, and then, uh, and then the other is as you, as you go through the, uh, regional expansion, yeah, everything from what what exactly are you offering in each region that's going to be compelling to how do I get the messaging right to actually you know people people have a different set of choices so you, there's there's a little bit of that product market fit the market is different so you have to you have to think about how do we fit into that different market and so in both cases it takes time to dial it in but it, it looks like it looks like in recent years like once you dialed it in. Boom! Then you then then the growth really started to work, and and it's not about working less or working harder. It's just it it takes time to patiently figure out how how do we make it work. Yeah, that that was one of the biggest learnings that because I was coming from a very SaaS background from before. So so then you know if something goes wrong, you change the software, you do a you know a heavier sprint, you experiment, and you put out rollouts a month, one week, a big weekly sprint, and and maybe you get it done and put like an MVP out there. But then I realized with hardware, you cannot necessarily do an MVP of a hardware. You know, if there is no. an if there is an error, you might be backtracked by half a year, one year to back into the market. So that that's quite a painful experience. But you get to learn a lot. That you also sometimes you have to get it right and not just get it fast. And then I, I got to learn, as you said, product market fit one is not static and is not homogeneous, which was something that maybe I had the assumption before from the SaaS companies. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what would you say? Would you, would you say that that was some of, some of the biggest challenges that you faced or has there been some other challenges that are also important? Well, that definitely. Well, one of the challenges, of course, is when we start growing a lot rapidly with the people, it's a traditional challenge. How to keep the knowledge across the organization and keep everyone with a high level of knowledge, high level of training and at a certain point in time onboarding. 30, 40, 50 people a month start to become uh, become quite something. So we, we had to really maybe heavily switch our mindset of maybe the EVbox organization started with becoming very profit product and then people uh, kind of like priority oriented. And then through the transition, maybe 2015, 2016 became very much product profit people or people like becoming more priority. And definitely as of like 2017, 2018, it became clear that, okay, for this level of growth, we really have to 
the foundation is people powered by purpose, and then we build the right product, and then you know revenue, profit, growth will follow. So I think that shift in mindset was was something that was challenging to build from a cultural aspect point of view. The other one. I would say, you know, if I look more or less how I like to think about the growth, which is like you build up the story, which is about the mission, vision, the team and the products, and then you have the niche, which is about the customers, the partners, the market, and then you have the image. So the values, the voice and the look. And I think on the image, one of the interesting insights that we tried to think about was not to, to strive to be a market leader, but to strive to be an industry leader, which drives different questions. Because a market leader, we are always asking how can we gain more market share or how can we beat competition or how can we you know, be more present in the market? Whereby when we start shifting, no, let's focus on being an industry leader. Then we start thinking about developing the industry, the needs of the industry and the customers, how to increase the mind share because there's space for everyone at this stage because it's such a fast growing industry. And then, you know, let's, let's build that mindset and then let, let the right solution be out in the market and let the market evaluate. So that, that shift... I think it helped a lot the organization also to be more than just a charging manufacturing firm or a charging developer. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you mentioned to me before the call was that um, the the company was actually acquired by a uh, an energy company mm -hmm. uh, in 2017. Yeah. How? What role did that play in in either accelerating or slowing down growth? No, it was definitely a turning point because uh, because we, we got acquired by by Engie, one of the largest utility companies in the world, if not if not the largest, and that allowed us to have the robustness, the expertise of the utility sector, and also the the financial backing to grow faster. So then we could start doing investments in order to build specific products or solutions or to increase the teams and the footprint. So it played a big role, of course. And, and the fact that it played a big role in a way that you could keep the culture and the entrepreneurial spirit, that was quite something that uh, that helped us a lot. So so definitely was a turning point when they joined because that, that allowed us to actually start investing more and to, to be able to get the right data to support our growth, which before we couldn't do it because we were playing very much on Agile and with the financial business model we had. Mm -hmm. And so is it, is it more of a, um, a financial ownership situation there or, or have, have you been, and, and are you run pretty independently or have you been more integrated into their larger organization where, where you potentially run up against the natural bureaucracy that you're going to see in any bigger company? No, that's the beauty part of it. We we run independently. Uh, of course, we have a supervisory board. We report to them. It's still important to have a great relationship as a, as a shareholder and as a partner. Of course, yeah. They're also mm -hmm. important for us. They also allow us to tap into large projects because sometimes we have large organizations, manuf automotive manufacturers or large uh, players that want to have a pan-European service. And, and that will not be necessarily possible if you don't have an organization like Engie that can say, yeah, that's not a problem because we are all over the world. We have service ready to be on the ground. And we also benefit from that as EVbox. We can say, yeah, you want to have a pan-European project with the services all over the place, installation, commissioning, support, not a problem. We have the right partner for that. So that also allows us to become more mature as an organization. And of course, the, the financial backing makes quite a difference, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, so how, so let's, let's kind of, uh, you know, and obviously it's not an exact science here, but um, if we look at, if we look at the, the success in particular that you had in 2019, how much would you say that's, that's market driven 
how much would you say, maybe you kind of had to break it down, market-driven, sort of resource-driven because of the acquisition or kind of know-how driven more about, okay, now now we know what product market fit looks like in these different regions and how to how to approach it. And we've got our product really dialed in now where we've we've fully made the shift to to this B2, B to B to C. And um so if you kind of looked at those three things, would it, it would it be like a third, a third, a third in terms of the impact, or um is is one maybe more impactful than others? No, I'll definitely say that that the know-how and having such a crystal uh, clean year. So we start 2019 with very every department had a very clear goal, OKR, like this is where we're gonna go, these are our goals, our targets, and and you know, these are the products we're gonna launch, this is the value proposition we're gonna build to these segments. We start working very segment driven um, and start building up that that idea that okay, this is the value proposition for this segment, this segment, this segment, A, B, and C. And we start tailoring very much our messaging to those segments and, and improving all our tooling as well and automation. So all of that definitely was 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 a bit a bigger piece like maybe 50 60 percent then of course the market grew really a lot in 2019 was one of the best years for the market that helps no doubt there but those two things i would say are the main ones but especially the the know-how being sharp and very clear on the year we had ahead that made a massive difference i i, I can i can guarantee yeah that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, great know-how, perfect execution in a market that's not that exciting probably isn't going to get you there very far. So so it makes sense that you that you have to have really good market dynamics happening as well. Yeah. So so when you listed through what the what the challenges were, one of the things that you talked about was sort of the the organizational and and team challenges. Um, particularly if we go back to the the growth that you talked about from. Uh, when you join being 10 to 15 people, now 600 people, I generally try to jump ship before, <laughs> before it gets kind of north of 100 people just because I know my, my, my ability to add value um, starts, starts to incrementally drop quite a bit once it, once it gets bigger. There's people who've got a lot more, lot more experience in those types of companies. But um, what, uh, it, one of the things that I found even from, from kind of you know, start up to a hundred people is that a lot of times you sort of have your, your team one, your team two, your team three, where some people who are really good in the kind of like sub 20, um, you know, it's super dynamic. They can do a lot of things. You, you start bringing in more and more specialists and th- those people then get marginalized and unhappy. Um, but I think what's great in looking at your history with the company is that you actually have been promoted as the company has grown um, which which is pretty unusual. Usually, like it's it's the opposite. You kind of get you kind of get buried in the organization. So, how has the organization evolved? What is it What does it look like now in terms of um, you know like the, let's just take the the kind of growth side of things. Is there is there separate growth and marketing teams? Um, it, how does sales fit into that? How does product fit into that? And um, just just how how are you guys organized now? Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, there is a, a growth department, um, essentially is composed by the marketing growth team, policy, which is interesting, and, and strategy, which is more focused on, on, on developing the, the industry. So within a marketing and growth, then, then we, of course, we have a head of marketing growth that is leading a team, which has then a, a brand experience team focused on, of course, on the, all the content studio, brand advocacy, brand experience. PR comes in events, which is all the events, press, uh, social media, corporate communications. 
Then you have an acquisition team where all the designers, developers, experiments, um, advertising sits. A, a product marketing team, she's very much focused on product DNA, building a value propositions, value-based pricing, uh, competitive analysis. Then we have a channel marketing team, which is all focused on the partners and resellers, so partner marketing, account-based marketing, training support. And then because it's such a, you know, as I remember from the beginning, such a regional, uh, localized market still with so many different flavors per market, we have an international marketing team that has local marketeers more generally. So someone that's focused on the Netherlands, uh, someone focused on in Belgium, Norway, US, the US has its own uh, small team. So that composes the marketing growth team, which which has to be quite a high collaborative team with the departments because at, at the stage of the company now is end-to-end accountability. So a product marketing team has to heavily work with, with sales to ensure the value proposition fits what the customers are demanding, has to work with product development and operations like supply chain to ensure that the product is launched on time with the right assets. Um, so, you know, the acquisition team has to be very heavily connected with, uh, uh, with the sales teams, ensure that the data also is all set up to learn from the data on the website and the experiments run make sense. So, yeah, so all the teams are connected to each other because it's, it has to be an interconnected company. The interesting part for us is that policy, for example, is, is a different team, uh, but it's under growth. So it's under also uh, is a team under, under the growth department because in such an industry, policy can play quite a big role. Yeah, if if uh, lobbyists or policymakers make certain regulations, can be really beneficial for us or not, forming alliances. So that's an interesting angle that maybe is not so often to see in SaaS companies, maybe because it doesn't fit the market. But it sounds yeah. more like what Airbnb and Uber like policy has got to be a big part of their yeah. of their growth initiatives. Exactly. Yeah. So it, so it's part of the growth team, and then there is a team that is being composed now, which is strategies is very much focused more on strategic initiatives that might be more longer term innovation uh, and how we're going to set up as a company looking at the market trends, which also sits under growth. So that's kind of the composition of the team uh, in general, which means that it's about maybe 45 people um, from uh, from me when I joined. So so it's been a nice growth so far. Yeah. Yeah. And then as a, as a company overall, like there's so many more moving parts now. How do you, how do you balance between that sort of, need for for bureaucratic controls i mean that's bureaucratic is kind of a a pretty loaded word there but just just you know organization and rules and and just ways of making sure that teams can kind of work together and not not step on each other's toes the whole time to that you know comparing to the scrappiness of the days when there was you know 10 or 15 people when you were there and and you know it was just really fast like you said you could all sit around a table and eat lunch together and make decisions pretty quickly what what are sort of some of the the things that you've been able to do to maintain the flexibility, but at the same time, you know, introduce some some uh, more guide rails to getting everybody working well together? No, that's that's a great question and a really tough tough one to be honest, because balancing that is always a delicate art to do. Um, the, the way I see it is that in one way, if you want to maintain the startup mindset, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and get it, you know, right while doing it fast as well uh, within the context of the industry. It has to connect back to the vision, mission, purpose, values of the organization. We we cannot let it out. It has to be connected. This is why we are here. This is the problem we are solving. This is how we are trying to solve it. And this is the way we're going to do it. And that has to be talked about across the company. When we launch the new values, We so we, once a year we do a whole gathering with the company so we bring everyone together so the last time was in january we brought everyone together 
um, the 600 people. And one of the topics in the agenda of that one day of excitement, what is the plan, where we are headed, what are our main strategies? One of the companies was like, okay, this is going to be our new values. And then we talked about the values, what do they mean? So that's the way to ensure that the mindset and the culture is there because then people have permission to play and permission to challenge and say, okay, this process might help us out, but you know, what is the end goal of it? And do we need it now? And do we have to do it all in, in one go? So that, then that's phase one. And then a the second one is that we do need certain process and controls, of course. We need to structure the organization for uh, scalable growth. And you cannot do that without doing processes so that because the company is getting bigger, someone that joins now needs to know, okay, who does what? So I think it, it comes to clarity and to be honest and say, we are going to now implement this process, which is going to perhaps slow down a bit of the things. But if you do it well, it will help us scale up faster in six months from now, in one year from now. And people have to understand that they're going to go through this change and why does it matter? And, and sometimes to understand that we're going to keep being a fast organization, but we have to start getting more often things right than things fast. And I think that is a bit of a change with before where we're very much focused on let's get things fast and that with many times will not be getting things right. So I think that balance has to be more there. And, and then is the experiment mindset. Um, and it's not just beyond growth and marketing. It has to also go into teams, different departments. Everyone has to be empowered to experiment something and to be allowed to have the scope to suggest something to to be off the books or to be a bit off the process just to see if it can work better, yeah? Because even now we had all these processes on how to work or what to do work or how to work from home that all changed because of the current situation and no one could predict. So you can have all those processes, but if you don't have this agile way of thinking of saying, okay, I don't know if it's going to work, if it's going to work out or not, let's put a scope and let's put an experiment, analyze it, monitor. Does it work? Great. Let's scale it up. And hopefully it becomes its own process. So that's the way I see the balance. Uh, um, yeah. And how to maintain. I love it. No, that's great. I, I mean, it's definitely all the pieces that I, that I think about of, of what you need to, to do to make it work. So, um, you know, definitely the, the one thing that I, I think one of the biggest risks when you get bigger is just uh, having very different agendas across, across different, uh, organizational silos that, that you have, you know, almost separate cultures in a lot of businesses across those silos. And that the, hopefully the one thing everyone can agree on is mission and vision and what we're trying to do. And the more people are focused on that, the less they're focused on, on their more narrow parts that they directly affect. And so being able to, the fact that you said you start with that and, and the fact that you, realize you have to bring some process in, but you actually take the time to sort of sell that process and, and explain how that's going to help uh, the company accelerate against the the vision and the mission of the business. But the, the scrappy part is really more of that experimentation mindset and, and trying to make sure that you can foster that. It, it seems like you've, you've got kind of the trifecta there. The one thing I didn't hear you talk about with all of that is, um, is this idea of a North Star metric. Is that, mm -hmm. is that something you guys ever talk about? So in the other day, I was thinking about that because I was listening to also the other podcast and I was like, we we have a North Star, but I think we never mentioned that this is a North Star. So at the, when we do the onboarding, one of the main things we say is like, by 2025, we want to have 1 million charging points on the ground. And charging points is our North Star, not because one, one like being, the more charging points we have on the ground, the more we're going to learn from the behavior of the customers and the more, the more we see that the industry is growing and we are expanding with it. 
which because yeah, having a North Star of gross revenue or something, it's a given. Shouldn't even be well, my view. Yeah, North Star at all. But, and revenue tends not to be that inspiring to people, no. but charging points would be. So that that sounds like a great and North now, Star. And now it's changing a bit because now you're thinking, well, is, is it enough? So I think now, and it is not a conversation I've we've had openly, but we're getting to a point where shouldn't it be connected charging points? Because in the past, and there are still some customers that the complexity is a bit too much for now, and they want to say, to have something offline. So you know, what, can it be offline? Prepare to go online because I, I just want to charge, and I don't want to have all this thinking about you know creating the balance, the smart charging balance. So if I want to charge it in the morning or to slow down if I put everything on in the house, I don't want to deal with that right now. So, so now I think I, I think we're going to evolve towards not not just charging points, being connected charging points, because that also means that we'll be able to tap into potential new business models, you know, more recurring revenues. That that's where the market lies. Um, so I think that will be the the north star that will follow, because it will also push us into entering in this IoT, data analytics, big data uh, in the future. So I think that will be the next phase. And if you're going to go into that direction, definitely has to be a conversation that everyone has to connect with. Yep. But what I love about that is that it's simple. You know, there, there's so many that um, when someone starts thinking like they, they start coming up very big formulas of what the North Star metric, it, it could be this, that that do this six times a week and that, you know, and then you ask anyone on the team and they have no idea what the heck the North Star metric would be. So um, it, it sounds to me like you're not using the word North Star metric, but you're using the concept, which is way more important than the word. And um, and I agree that if you can take charging points to saying, how can we make that even more powerful, connected charging points, like that 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 sounds like you are, it, it's a really good tool for you to keep people focused on a quantitative way of, of progress against the mission. So um, that's, that's awesome. I, th- I think uh, it's not surprising that growth has not been a, something that weighs you down. It sounds like to me that, I mean, the fact that you have one of your record years in the last year um, is, it, it just shows that you're, you guys are finding a really good way of, of, you know, operationalizing the growth of the business to a point where you, where you can maintain a really strong growth trajectory or even accelerate one, which is, which is really rare as you get bigger. No, I, I can hear that. And that, I think one of the most beautiful parts of the journey is that the, the part of the growth is not even, yeah, I'm, I'm heading the department and, and of course, like everyone else has an influence, but, but to be fairly honest, the growth at this stage is not even led by me, it's by all the team leaders that were hired five years ago, four years ago, three years ago. And it's that's a beautiful part of things. Things that I thought were as an assumptions on my own, now they are challenging me and proving me wrong. You know, being it like I don't know. In the, in the past, we started very much off focus on the products. You all you go to the website, you see the products, and there was a period of time three years ago we tried to go by segment. So you you basically are pushed to say I'm a workplace or I'm a, a business on hospitality or I'm and that didn't work out from the experiment. You know, people still mm-hmm. want to see the products. And that I become yeah. my assumption. And now, for example, six months ago, the uh, the head of acquisition, acquisition manager, you know, proved me wrong, saying the time changed. People want to go to the segments now. And she proved, uh, you know, with all the sorts of experiments and CTRs that blew my mind that say, no, the, the market changed. It's a different world now. They want to go by segments. So that's the beauty of it. And now, uh, you know, and that's, uh, and they need those fresh minds and, and team leaders that evolve, step up and make the right choices 
um, because your role becomes much more about coaching, delegating, and trusting that they'll be ahead of the game and be way better at what they are doing than than, than you. <laughs> right, which I think is when you know, I touched on that. My uh, you know, in my experience, I, I try to try to get out when the company hits a hundred employees, um, you know, or or well before that. And I think part of it is just as as you just said that um, being able to being able to move beyond like being able to empower everyone to approach growth in the right way, as opposed to me being the kind of the puzzle solver. Um, I, I think I, I had maybe a hard time letting that go. And so um, that's awesome that you've been able to, you collectively, the company has been able to create a, a um, situation and an understanding across that situation where, where everyone starts to wear that growth hat, that experimentation hat, that we need to constantly understand the evolving market and adjust to that evolving market. That's a that's a much more powerful organization long term in terms of being able to st- sustain growth. So uh, good for you guys. <laughs> um, so so one uh, one uh, I think really good um, podcast you should go back and listen to if you if you get a chance is my conversation with uh, Neilon Paris from Transferwise. Um, I think they've they've gone through a similar kind of growth rate as you have and and. They're probably a bit even bigger on the employee side, but one of the things that Nilan talks a lot about is uh, sometimes they grow too quickly, and when they grow too quickly, their ability to serve customers starts to to go down. That just like customer service takes a little longer to get back to people, and and just kind of on the edges, the experience gets a little bit worse. And their big driver of growth is just you know net net promoter score, just having, having really good customer advocacy. And that customer advocacy, of course, is directly dependent on the customer experience. And so um, just realizing that, uh, you know, as, as you grow, being able to make sure that you grow at a rate where that customer experience can continue to be really strong or even get stronger, that, that could be a powerful driver of growth. So I'd, I'd recommend to, to go back and listen to that podcast if you get a chance. So last thing that I want to do before we wrap up here is just kind of go through the the steps of uh, you know when you how you get you know a, a new customer and um, you know everything from how you get on their radar in the first place to how they become a customer that gets really excited and and refers to other customers as I talked about kind of the the uh, transfer wise way. And um, so, sort of the steps in between there, what's that typical journey look like? So do you want to take us through that? Yeah, yeah. So so if we exclude these large companies that have tendering processes where you have to formal, you know, to follow this very formal tendering process. So let's exclude that one because that's a specific process. But traditionally, you know, from an acquisition point of view, they will discover EVBox either through referral, referral word of mouth. Um, and actually, the B2C here will be more like, I want to install charging stations at my place. You know, they might know other facility managers or fleet managers or people that decide on the, on the mobility strategy and be like, what do you have on your parking lot? What do you recommend? And they go through, that will be one of the elements, referral. The other one, the other one is actually search and pay that. The search is still a very strong component. Um, so that's why content still plays an incredible role here for, for us. And, and the last one actually is a very powerful one for us. Events and trade shows, funny enough, being offline uh, uh, to a certain extent, they still are incredible lead sources for us to find the right resellers or partners, especially because it's such a, a visual product. Many people and many decision makers want to see it live and they want to experiencing it. Um, so that will be the mostly the acquisition channels. And then if they get that, 
then they will go through the activation process, which means they ask for a quotation. And they'll go through a, like an onboarding process of having a pre-sales call, a sales call, explain and showcase the product, the benefits, a platform. It's hard for them to experience value before uh, before having the charging station. If they drive electric, they'll have a bit more of a, a sense of what it means they experience. But many of the decision makers don't drive electric yet because they are buying to serve other customers, their own drivers like uh, employees, staff and guests. Uh, but you know they are you know we find ways of them experiencing it by either seeing the videos, the testimonials, inviting them to our offices to see a demo unit. Um, so that's that's the way to go. And then you know when they purchase, they commit to it and they experience for the first time the first charging session is always very exciting. So that that's interesting. That once there is that first charging session, it's it's, it's exciting to see oh the car is charging and everything works. Um, yeah, and afterwards, you know, the, the referral part is a bit hard, to be honest, because one, we are not in this B2C, we are avoiding this B2C scheme, but it is important for our partners. So we try to equip and train and do sessions with our resellers to say, hey, these are good best practices to maybe empower and to build your own marketing strategy. And this is all the collateral assets you can use from us. There were points in time that we say, hey, we build this white paper. You want to pick up a content and build your own? Be my guest. Take it so that we can really help them out, white label, even our content that we created so that they can, you know, build their own referral program. Uh, uh, from a B2B point of view, we try very much through success stories, you know, trying to build, you know, really good stories of saying, hey, Unilever has, you know, 100, 150 charging points um, with EVBox. This is how they use it. So other large corporates might connect and be like, oh, if Unilever trusts EVBox, then let's look into them. So I think that's the best way of referral for now. And then, you know, powered by brand campaigns, press, partnerships. And we also create a mobility event, which was, we were the first one, similar to Salesforce with Dreamforce, you know, HubSpot with Inbound. We noticed that there was a gap in the market early on. And we said, okay, let's build something for the industry and really empower everyone to join, competitors, partners, industry leaders. So I would say that that would be the last phase. And then retention engagement is very much on day-to-day basis with uh, with reactivation and now very much focused on advocacy. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to imagine that like, um, like I look at, at, at um, are you familiar with Peloton? The, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. So I look at something like that where, yeah, I've had a Peloton for, for three or four years already. And um, I actually got it as a, as a gift from a venture capitalist, but um, I, even though I didn't make the investment in the hardware myself, I know how much the hardware costs and, and that there's something to a, I, I went months without using it, paying, you know, 30, $40 a month. Of course, now when, when COVID hit, then I, uh, I was so excited that I still had it and, and use it much more often. But, um, I, I think there's something to being able to drive long-term retention when there's a a hardware investment as well. You're just much more likely to keep paying that recurring software side. Do you, do you see that as well? Yeah. So so the interesting thing is that yeah, with, with a charging infrastructure that is it's in some cases a very high investment for the business to do the installation and to to build up. Once it's there, it's hard to replace it, and you have to assume that you have a charging management fee. So that. That that does play a role today. Now that what what you know, talking at the beginning with with Corona, what it brought up is that okay, today this is the situation, but the market is going to keep evolving, and maybe in the future this will not be the same situation. The customer might be unhappy, might be like, you know what, I'm going to replace the whole infrastructure because I have to delight my customers. 
Yeah. So, so and, and that's I, the other thing is that hardware does does age at a certain point and that there becomes newer, more advanced stuff and and that maybe, you know, you take like a Tesla supercharger versus something else, like it's you can you could charge really fast with with some chargers and other chargers take a lot longer. And so um, there 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 is a time where maybe the the upgrade on the hardware would make sense. And and technology keeps on evolving. So so the the customers today might be in one way, but in a few years from now, I can see that some of them will demand, I actually want to connect my charging station to the energy management system of my house, my Nest, or what or, or I'm using. I want to connect with the battery storage of Tesla because I want to store the energy and uh, I want to connect with my solar panel so that I can, you know, retrieve the, uh, you know, store the energy of the solar panel and use it to actually the charging station to be the connector to the car to use that power that I re- that I store. So, so the customer will become more and more demanding in that sense, which means we, we, we definitely have to pay attention to it and we have to change, uh, we have to keep evolving our way of thinking and, and go more into the direction of, of, of delighting and advocacy um, to ensure that we are also connected, not just with the requirements when purchasing, but especially with the requirements when using, because they'll, they'll just you know, start demanding not to pay or they'll be reluctant to pay more when new business models come. So, so I think that's something that definitely it is going to be a strong point of attention moving forward to ensure that we keep being on the leading front um, of the industry. Right. It's like the old uh, Andy Grove book of only the paranoid survive that uh, realizing that you, you know, that, that there is a, a scenario where churn happens. If you became too comfortable that, oh, we're hardware, we're never going to need to worry about churn. Then, then things could slip. But if you think through those scenarios where, okay, churn could happen, then you're much more likely to make sure that you're doing everything you can to keep customers happy and help them get more value from, from what you've given them. Um, so the, the last question I'd like to wrap up with is, um, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that you didn't understand you know, maybe a couple of years ago or, or when you started five years ago? Uh, is there one thing that really stands out to you? If I could share one thing that will stand out to me and the biggest learning so far is that you cannot copy the strength of a customer relationship and, uh, and that was one of the interesting things that became more and more realization to me which is the fact that if you have a really strong customer relationship your referral referrals will, will come will come will come because then that, that string will be duplicated and multiplied if you have a string of a customer relationship all our competitors can copy the products, software, features, but, but they cannot copy the way we interact with the customer. It, it's, it's, it's too unique, you know, it's too much the culture of the organization. So that's what became clear to me in terms of the growth is that if you focus on continuously how to strengthen the relationship with the customers we have, chances are that you're, con- you're going to continue finding effective ways to grow. And, and and then move across the funnel, yeah, the move, like balance out between the whole awareness activation, but especially start finding the magic in the in the advocacy and, and retention. Which is why I'm still excited about about EV box and about the, the the time ahead. You know, many people that grow up have small short tenors afterwards because they lose the excitement. This is the way I find excitement. I'm like, okay, I work so much on building the growth, building the whole ecosystem. I'm very excited about that. There's not much more to do in that aspect. But suddenly you have this, you know, not, I'll not call it epiphany because it's not an epiphany, but you have this realization, oh, wow, there's so much to learn 
on this on this area of advocacy and uh, so so then I get excited again what can be done there that will just make us a, a, a delightful company to work with that's as simple as that I think there's only one question in my mind these days it is how easy it is to work with us and then and that multiplies all sorts of thoughts and, and that, that's it for me for for the moment and, and that's how I understand growth now and five years ago definitely not on my mind and, and even before or at least not yeah. that long yeah so yeah, it's interesting when you were going through that customer journey, you started by saying that, you know, the very first thing you mentioned was uh, referral is how people discover this product. And then when you kind of took it to the point where, okay, now I've, I've converted a customer to the point where, okay, now how do I get them to refer you? You were like, oh, we can't really do that. You gave a couple of kind of tactical examples, but I think I think what you just touched on there is that referral actually happens without you doing anything if you do everything else right. Like it's it's you know, if they if if it's a great solution and they and they love it, then then they they can't help but tell other people about it. Or or most of the time. I mean, maybe a few few category exceptions, but um that's I, I found that every fast-growing company that I've been a part of, referral, just natural word of mouth, unincentivized, untracked, but, but when you actually go and survey customers, how they found out about it, found out about it from a friend or colleague, um, is, is always my number one source of new customers. And that, that loop is a function of doing everything super well in the business. And so that's great that you've honed in on that, and I'm not surprised that... Uh, if that's what you're focused on the most, the one real benefit of that too is that size, as you get bigger, I was saying one of the things about you know most businesses, they slow down in growth every year, but your growth has, has you know obviously with the exception of COVID-19, which every business is going to be affected strangely with that, but taking through, through 2019, even the beginning of 2020, uh, that the fact that you've actually maintained growth rates or even accelerated growth rates is I think a largely a function of a really satisfied, happy user base, which gives you two things. It gives you it gives you this powerful word of mouth engine, but it also gives you feedback and and market understanding. If you can tap into that, um, that 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 becomes another big advantage relative to any of the um, competitors out there who who maybe have much smaller, less engaged customer bases. You 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 talked about people can copy you. But they can't copy what you're going to do. They can only copy what you did before. And you're, what you're going to do is more of a, a function of how you respond to that feedback from customers. Yeah. Excellent. Um, awesome. Well, this has been great. Those were, those were really my key takeaways from this conversation. Um, I, uh, I think that the mission focus that you have is, is a really important one. And I like before, before we jumped on this call, you had talked about being in India and seeing seeing what really bad uh, air quality can can do to just living less comfortable, and I, I saw the same thing in Beijing uh, on on some trips there. You actually lived in India, and so I'm not surprised that you continue to be motivated by that mission with this business, and that you are you wake up excited every day to to come back and 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 make progress on that mission. So that's an enviable position to be in to have uh, spent a lot of time and have a lot of success behind you but have excitement for what you can still do. So I'm excited to see where you go with that. Um, so th- thank you again for everything that you shared and to everyone listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Breakout Growth podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe so you never miss a show. 
until next week.